0: Podcasting from Mount Pleasant, Utah, this is the Sampete Horse Training podcast. Sampete Horse Training's mission statement is simple. To send home a respectful, well-rounded, and well-broke horse that can handle a variety of situations.
1: Welcome to today's podcast. This is Eric Dent with Sampete Horse Training, and I've got here with me today one of our trainers, Anna. Welcome, Anna. Hello, guys. So we are going to talk today about Anna's experience working with kids who are totally new to horses. Um, Anna, why don't you explain a little bit about uh, the experience that you had um, and a little bit about um, the horses that you had while you were there.
0: Okay, so I worked at a ranch in Oregon, um, and this ranch had about 25 horses, and The idea behind this ranch was to have kids come and stay there for a week to two weeks and learn pretty much everything about horses. So they stayed in cabins. Everything was focused around horses, their activities. And then for about three to four hours a day, they would um, be hands-on with the horses. And then another hour or two after that, uh, they'd be hands-on with barn chores and that type of thing. Um, And then also... Every day, there were kids from another camp that would come up on a shuttle, and pretty much it was just that they were there at the other camp for uh, a week or so, but their parents had paid uh, specifically for them to have a trail ride. Um, And so generally, the kids that actually stayed at the ranch for a week or two uh, had either stayed there a couple of years. Um, Very, very few of them had anything to do with horses during the rest of the year, uh, other than just this ranch experience, and then the kids that uh, came up from the main camp, they were generally uh, completely new to horses, had never even touched them, uh, had seen them in parades, but that was about it. So, these kids were about starting at six to a range, to range of maybe eight, um, and the most common kids that stayed there during the week or two weeks, they were about Eight or nine was the most common age group, um, but we had some as old as sixteen. And so, about uh, twenty to forty-ish kids each week would come through, um, and then I did that for about uh, five months. So, quite a few, quite a few kids.
1: <laughs> so, what was the general experience level of these kids with hor- with regard to horses?
0: Yeah. So, what we considered to be more experienced were those that had actually ridden a horse uh, so uh, the kids that came up from the camp they had never like I had said before they had never seen a horse touched a horse um, and so they're kind of two different categories that I'll talk about was uh, those kids from Main camp that had never seen the horse and then uh, the kids from ranch camp that had you know uh, worked a little bit with horses So when the kids from ranch camp would come, I'd ask them kind of a series of questions like, you know, have you ridden before? Uh, how long did you ride when you did ride that, you know, at that time? Uh, how many did you do it for a couple of weeks? Can you count how many times you could ride? I mean, we'd get a lot of kids that were like, oh, yeah, I can I've, I can ride. And you'd ask them, how many times have you been on a horse? Four. <laughs> so maybe not a whole lot. Um so probably the most experienced ones knew how to stop, go and steer, and that was about all.
1: So pretty much all the kids had basically no horses.
0: Yeah, basically nothing. Okay. So
1: all right. So what about the horses? What were they like? Where where did they get them from and what were some of like maybe the the good and bad about the horses that you had.
0: Yeah. So it was like a contractor, uh, from Washington. So the horses were turned out to pasture, not touched at all for nine months. Then they were rounded up, roped, ran through a chute as if they were mustangs, um, had their feet trimmed and, um, were trailered up, all squished in a trailer and sent here. They all had, uh, number brands on their hips um, but it was pretty much just from like a contractor that, that did probably a bunch of different dude ranches. Then they would come and we would have them um, for, you know, the couple of months that the kids actually really focused with them. So this time we had them out for a lot longer because the place had had so many issues the year before with kids falling off. Every time a kid fell off, even if the kid was totally fine, was laughing, a report still had to be filed. uh went which went to the main corporate office, um, you know, that was 45 minutes away. So uh, there was just a lot of loss of communication there. And so the ranch was kind of at a threatening point of being shut down, not a lot of, um, you know, good reviews or good reports were coming from it. And so uh, I went out there with a friend a couple months early just to ride all of these horses and tune them up, I guess you could say and, uh, it was very interesting because while they, on the surface, seemed to be so well broke, uh, they were not at the same time. So you ask them to lope and either they wouldn't or they would kick out or they'd rear. Um, I had one horse that didn't even care which way it went or how hard it was, just as long as it didn't have to go forward on the trail. Um, very, very buddy sour. Um barn sour. Uh, Once you get them all in a line, then they were great. Um, And so they're all great together, but you take them out and they really didn't have a lot of uh, training other than just stop, go and turn. Uh, There were a few that were surprisingly very well trained, but they were so well trained that it was almost like the kids couldn't handle them uh, just because the horses were too sensitive. And so it was a, a good opportunity to go out there and be able to get to know all the horses so well so that when the kids came in we could match their experiences up
1: so um it's interesting when you look at a a situation like this the the horses basically have to be a little bit of a bump on a log right like they've got to be pretty kind of dead heads and almost the more buddy sour and barn sour that they are almost the better Mm-hmm. it is because then you're not going to have them trying to run off or they're not going to be making sudden movements that the kids are going to fall off of that kind of thing. Right.
0: Yeah. but it was kind of funny because the, the ones that I, by the end of the summer thought were so well-trained were the ones where you could kick them as hard as you could and you could jerk all over their face and they wouldn't do anything. Right. So my viewpoint on what was a well-trained horse from the beginning toward the end definitely changed with when it came to uh, if I was going to have a kid on him or not.
1: Yeah. So we want to kind of talk a little bit today. The Kind of the whole purpose of this podcast is to discuss a little bit of that question. What makes a good horse? And obviously the answer is different based on the experience of the rider. Okay, so when you're talking kids or even adults that have absolutely zero experience with a horse what are some of the features that you would want to look for in a horse to pair with those type of people
0: yeah so first of all I would actually look at the kids and kind of figure out where their confidence level was at um I got pretty good at at telling which kids were bluffing and which kids weren't and than the ones that were obviously sobbing because it was their parents' dream that they ride a horse and they wanted nothing to do with the horse. Those ones were pretty obvious. Uh, but just really pairing the more confident riders with the horses that were actually more of a deadhead, uh, which was a big surprise to me, just because if they were confident and they were going to kick the horse or make the horse go, um, it was going to turn out okay. And they were just a little bit more confident so when the horse didn't listen to them, Uh, then it worked out all right. Uh, The kids that were a little bit more scared, I tend to put those on actually the ones that were kind of in between, Not, not super sensitive, but definitely not a deadhead, just because then when they asked the horse to go, it would go, and that is kind of what built their confidence. I found it to be quite a bit easier to teach them to stop the horse than to have them get so frustrated in the first place that they couldn't get the horse to do anything.
1: That's interesting.
0: So uh, what about um,
1: the problems with these type of horses? So this is kind of a unique group of horses, like paramount above everything else is that they're safe and the kids don't fall off of them because of something the horse did, right? Yeah. So what are some of the um, problems that maybe came along with that type of horse?
0: Yeah, so what I ran into the most was definitely um, like the buddy sour issues. You know, everyone wants the good deadhead horse that will just follow the horse in front. Well, what happens when the kid wants to go look at something else or we're practicing a pattern and they're practicing steering their horse and then suddenly their perfect deadhead follow the tail in front of their nose horse is now doesn't even know where to go because there's nothing in front of them. And then the horse is actually loping back to the group of horses while the kid is on top, terrified. And that was probably the biggest problem that we ran into. And that's what was most frustrating about those types of horses that what was deemed a good, a good trail horse was one that would just put its nose down and follow the one that was in front of it.
1: Yeah. Any other common problems that you saw with the, with the group of horses that, that was uh, kind of popped up over and over.
0: Yeah, so kind of with what I said last time, it was kind of hard to get a horse to lead too because they were always so used to following the horse in front of them that every time there was the horse in front, it was like it didn't know what to do. It would always keep trying to turn around. Um, we ran into a lot of eating on the trail problems. Part of that was just because they'd gotten away with it for so long, but that's kind of what they were taught. Like, yep, we follow along this trail and then we rest and then we get to eat. And it's really frustrating during the spring months in Oregon when it rains a lot and the grass seems to be very green and very lush and very high. And you've got a six-year-old that is trying to keep a 15-hand horse's head up in the air as they walk through a a pasture. That caused a lot of problems. And then uh, before you know it, one kid is having a great time uh, their life is changing and then suddenly their their horse's head is down and their reins are on the ground and they have no control and uh, you can only get to them so quick. And that was just a huge problem that, that we ran into and uh, it definitely was pretty hard for the kids to get used to that.
1: So it's interesting that there's really not any perfect horse for any situation. There's always going to be issues. Um, like you mentioned earlier, the, almost the more broke they are, sometimes the less suited they are for an um, inexperienced rider because then they're sensitized to leg pressure or they're sensitized to the bit or whatever. And when somebody's grabbing onto them or putting pressure on them, then all of a sudden they're wanting to move off that pressure and that can lead to someone falling off. Um, so, um, So what do you think about... Uh, those issues that you just named things like the buddy sourness or eating on the trail stuff like that do you feel like it, it would have been possible to reasonably get that out of these horses but still make them or keep them in their setting of being really really good you know dude ranch type horses for this crowd of people do you think if you tried to fix those that it would have created other problems like them being too sensitive
0: uh, so we kind of ran into this half and half, like there, I think it would have been better if there wasn't, if there was more than three of us, I mean, 25 horses, you know, there was only two of us for the first couple of months, and then later there were, it was three of us, and so we were trying to keep it, but you know, you can only ride these horses so much during the day and have time for the kids and everything, and so um, it was a little bit difficult because we'd, you know, get after the horses and yeah, get them a little get them a little hot, and then turn them back over to the kids. But really what we ran into was, you know, they clearly were very smart and figured out who was going to make them do what. And so instead of, you know, the kid was struggling, and so then I get on, and I get on the, I get on the horse, and the horse is perfect for me. It turned into really focusing on spending that first day or two getting the kid to really understand how to make the horse do what they wanted it to do. And that would make the rest of the week a lot easier.
1: That's interesting. So, um, so basically when it comes to an adult getting out there and and trying to train the horse to not do those things, it wouldn't necessarily work all the time because they knew the difference between a child and an adult.
0: Yeah, we would do, we, you know, we'd ride them for fun even, and um, we would lope them bareback, um, uh, or gallop, I guess, <laughs> you know, through the trails. And that's what we would do. But then you would get this seven-year-old kid on them and they're sitting there trying to kick them and kick them. And, and the horse is just swishing its tail and not moving because it, it knows that that, that that kid is not going to make it go. And then I jump on and then I'm facing a different problem because I, had galloped it bareback back of the night before, so then it wanted to run, so then I'm getting on and fixing a horse's runaway problem when I should be fixing the kid's go problem.
1: yeah, that's interesting so let's switch gears for just a second here. We had a, a bay gilding that we started a two year old a couple years ago that kind of highlights some of these same um, issues. Let's talk about him for just a second so Um, if I remember correctly, I think you actually started this horse, put the first few rides on him. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. I put the first few rides on him and then the first 45 days.
1: Okay. So, um, why don't you tell us just a little bit about his disposition and what he was typically like, you know, in those early days of
0: training? Yeah. So on the third ride, um, the second or the third ride, he kicked out once just a little bit. And, the only reason why I really knew he kicked out was because I felt something and then I asked the person helping me and they they said that yeah he he kicked out a little bit. Um
1: And what what was he doing when he kicked out? What were you doing?
0: Yeah, I asked him to lope and he I asked him to go into the lope and um it just kind of his back end went a little higher than normal was really all it felt like. Um and so I really couldn't even could tell what happened. I asked the person in the middle, did he just kick out? And they're like, yeah, a little bit. Um, so we loped him for a while. It was no problem. We took him to the arena, rode him uh, for a long time, you know, a couple of weeks. And at one point, he was swishing his tail quite a bit. And so I asked him to lope. And I mean, same thing, he he kind of kicked out. Uh, but I I made him run as hard as he could around that arena for quite a while. Um And so he was definitely more of like the lazy type. He just seemed really irritated every time you were making him work. Um, He wasn't really naturally soft. Any suppling exercises, he just kind of wanted to hang his head on the bit. Um, Not really the most motivated horse, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah, for sure. So then I took over this horse for a little bit um, after you were done with him. And I don't know, I probably put another 30, maybe 45 days on him we got him to where he was pretty soft in the face. Um, we got him to where he was doing rollbacks and, and, uh, he could do the basics of a spin. Um, and you know, he, he's kind of a smaller horse, like a real, what was he? Probably thirteen two, thirteen three, something like that. Not a real big horse, real small, but it's pretty athletic. Um, and that kind of thing. So, so I rode him for a while. Um, I never had any problems with him kicking out, but he always had kind of that, just a little bit of a, I wouldn't call it a pissy attitude, but he just You ask him to lope, and he's just like, oh, man, I really don't want to lope, you know. And sometimes you have to kind of get after him to make him want to go. Okay, so then fast forward, um, and he was ridden for probably close to six months as a late two-year-old, early three-year-old by an 11-year-old girl. And I would say that for her age, probably an in-the-middle type of a rider. She was confident to lope. Um, but, not, but not like a really great rider, kind of in the middle, okay? So she rode this horse for six months, and quite a bit, like in, in a lot of different settings, on the dirt roads, up in the mountains, a lot of arena riding, a lot of around town, um, and a lot of it was with a friend that had another three-year-old gilding that we had started, and, um, and that horse was quite a bit more forward and that kind of a thing. So the point is, is this horse got used a lot, but he also got used a lot alongside a buddy. So he was always hanging out, you know, they'd go to these barrel races or go, you know, ride around town and and the horse would always get to rest by the other horse. Okay, so then we turned him out for a few weeks and a guy wants to come over and take a look at him to see if he'd be the type of horse he'd buy and, um. We got him out first time an adult had ridden him in quite some time and when we asked him to lope he tried to buck okay so what gives why after all of that did this horse all of a sudden come up with a bucking problem
0: yeah well kind of actually started back well not kind of it started back from kind of getting getting his way so to speak with not having to lope i mean even when he, when he was being ridden with a buddy it wasn't that they were being ridden and then they were being rested uh i would notice in the arena that one would be loping around the arena and then the other would be trying to lope in another direction and he would gravitate gravitate toward them and eventually be loping right next to the other horse with his head you know nearly resting on the hip of the other one and so it started even while he was still having to work um you know, he was starting to get away with little things like that. And they're they're really smart, and they'll get out of what they want to get out of. And then, you know, he would kind of start to get his way, and then he would start to be asked to lope, and his tail would swish. And then that would lead to being asked to lope, and maybe he'd just kind of throw his head up just a little bit. Um, and then the next time after that, he would shake his head, and the next time after that, and it kind of turned into a, oh, he would start to do something, so let's just pull him around and stop him. And, you know, the the kid is doing exactly what they need to. They're kind of stopping, building their confidence, and trying again, which is all great for them, but it's the worst thing for the horse because the horse is uh, picking up on that and understanding that if they just stop, then they're not going to have to do it anymore. And so the ultimate release was they probably shook their head didn't want to lope and maybe kicked out even and then got put away for 6 months and thought oh man that was awesome uh, and so they're not even going to try all these little things they know the answer now and so that's usually why they go straight to straight to whatever got him in the pasture in the first place
1: so the interesting thing about this case was that the this little bay gelding had more training on him than the friend's horse did which we are also started we put probably 45 maybe maybe 60 days on this horse um certainly no more than 90 it wasn't it wasn't a, a huge amount and they never had that same problem with that horse so what so how would you explain that two horses one of them is even better trained than the other one and it's got more problems so what what was the difference between those two horses you think
0: it actually kind of came down to the rider and the confidence level. You know, I'm sure that horse did try a few times. You know, they didn't want to lope. They wanted to be by their buddy. But the kid was just a little bit more confident and willing to get after the horse and get annoyed and make the horse do what, what she wanted it to do. And the horse just eventually kind of learned what it could get away with and what it what it couldn't. So that really is just kind of, you know, it's a simple answer. Yeah.
1: So kind of the main takeaway from this podcast is is this. Sometimes the deadhead horse is not always the answer, right? Yeah. So let's talk for a second on how you pair these. So um, let's say somebody's got a horse crazy daughter that's 10 years old and they want to buy her a horse and they don't know anything about horses. Okay, so they're probably assuming that that real deadhead Um, You know, bump on a log type of an old gilding is probably the best horse from a safety standpoint. But what would your suggestion be as far as what type of horse to look for, for maybe a a beginning to, you know, intermediate 10-year-old rider, meaning that, you know, probably not really that confident in trotting or loping, um, but they need a horse to, to use for Riding around town, and and then some basic arena, and maybe four inch t- type stuff or things like that. What would be some of the features or characteristics of a horse, based on your experience with this big yielding and and what you saw up at the, uh, at the camp that you worked at?
0: Yeah, really, it it surprises people. But the more sensitive, uh, they are. I mean, you know, you can't go stick the crazy, uh, Arab and with the uh, timid ten year old. But those that we those horses that we had. Um, that just were willing to move off of pressure and were a little bit more sensitive just worked wonders for the kids that that were really timid and you know it was kind of a a control thing too at the beginning we would make sure we tell them so when the horse does this this is what this means uh when the horse speeds up, you're probably squeezing your legs a little too much. We teach them all of the reasons why the horse might be doing it, you know, might be speeding up um, or doing something so that uh, they could kind of fix fix their own problems, but the horse was actually listening to them. And that was kind of the key in the end was just finding the horse that would, would listen to him rather than, you know, they're speeding up and... They're they're trying to get the horse to speed up, and it's swishing its tail, so then they give up because they don't know if they're doing the right thing yet. The kid's still learning. Um, I mean, we see these kind of problems with very experienced horse people all the time. And so then you pair a kid that doesn't even know if they're doing the right thing in the first place. They're definitely not going to understand the ultimate release of pressure. And so it's just really important to make sure that they're on a horse that is willing to follow their cues even if the kid doesn't even know that they're giving them properly.
1: So just the other day, um, I went on a ride with my daughter and my wife. Um, and Melissa, my wife, she she rode our our kid horse that is the true bump on a log type kid horse. He does not, I mean, you got to spur him every step to get him to trot. So she's like way back behind us, and she tries to, um, you know, kind of, squeeze on him a little bit to get him to trot and come up to us and we've ridden him a little bit lately we're you know right now it's it's february so we're not riding him a ton but we've ridden him a little bit lately it's not like he's been you know sitting in the pasture for six months or anything like that and um the second that my wife tried to squeeze this horse into a trot he acted like he was going to buck her off he kind of got that little bit of a hump back and put his head down and you know, he's probably more threatening than true, but, but she had to pull his head around because he was kind of acting like he was gonna go into that. Um, and so that's kind of that typical symptom that you'll see. So what about the super, super, super confident kid that's like say 12 years old and is a really good rider? What would you pair them for, for kind of maximum safety, not necessarily maximum enjoyment?
0: Yeah, I always, oh, they did not like me, so I had to really focus on how pretty the horse was because I'd always pair the really confident kids with these slow bump-on-a-log the horses. And lucky for me, our horses that were like that were colored, and so the kids were really excited because they had a Palomino or a Dun or or something, but they were just so irritated because they were so confident and wanted to lope everywhere, and they're stuck with a horse that they're having to, push and push and push and they finally get it to lope and then it breaks down and then they've got next to them some kid that has never really ridden and they're just loping right by him all good and calm and it was really frustrating to him Um, and so we would make sure that we you know properly conveyed to the kid that that they were given a horse that um, was a little bit more experienced or was uh, for more experienced riders because he had this issue and this is what you could do to really fix it, but we're really trying to, and I guess it was kind of using the psychology on the kids, but, but I would really make sure that I explained to him that this was a issue we were having with this horse. We really couldn't get it to look well, and because you were so experienced, we'd really like you to ride this horse, and um, I mean, it was all true, but Just really, you know, getting the kid to enjoy the horse in the first place. And they get past the frustration within a couple days because then the horse would figure out the kid was going to make him lope. So they might as well just lope when he asked.
1: Yeah. So really when you think about it, pairing of uh, a rider with a horse pretty much is as simple as this. You don't want to pair a super dull rider with a super, super dull horse or they never get anywhere. And you don't want to pair a super active and crazy rider with a super active and hot horse, okay? Let's talk for a second about this Pasafino that we had a little while back. So Anna, what is your style? Are you more quiet around horses in general or are you more active when you're riding and working with them? What would you say, where are you at? Like scale one to 10, 10 means you're totally crazy and always getting pressure on them. One means you're just super laid back. Where would you put yourself?
0: Oh, I'm a little too quiet around the horses, so, like so what? probably like a three.
1: Okay, three or four. I'd I'd yeah. say somewhere in that neighborhood, right? And anybody that knows me, I'm probably more like a six or seven, or an eight, or oh, an eight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I expect a lot out of a horse, and I and I like a horse to go. So we get this Paso Fino, and he came to us. He's really, really well-broke horse. Yeah. Um, but he came to us because the owners were they wanted to sell him because he was too hot for him. And um, so, my experience with this horse was uh, kind of like an idiot riding an idiot, right? Like, <laughs> it was, it was a, it was a firecracker riding a firecracker, and oh man, like that was the hottest horse I'd ever ridden. At least trained, you know, consistently trained. And I really struggled with this horse. It seemed like every time I'd get on him, he just wanted to just be, I just, it was like his mind would just blow up and he just wanted to run everywhere. Um, and for the first two or three weeks, I, I just, oh, I did not like this horse. And it was a really good learning experience for me because what I realized was that my body language and my mannerisms were way too active for this horse. And when I started to kind of slow that down a little bit and be just a little bit less pressure driven, um, we actually got along great. Um, and, and he ended up being an, really an amazing horse. And, and, you know, we had him for quite some time and, and the owners took him home and they really liked him. They were planning on selling him. But once they took him home, they, they really liked how much he'd calmed down and everything. Um, but that was a big adjustment for me was trying to ride that horse. Um, it's kind of funny because I actually had both of those girls we just talked about. Um, with the, you know, the 12-year-old, the 11- and 12-year-old girls ride this horse. The one's a very confident rider, and the other one is a lot quieter of a rider. And what did the horse do with those two different riders?
0: Uh, well, one was pretty slow, and then the other was pretty fast. Yeah,
1: I remember the day that the confident rider rode him, he was racing around the arena, like, as fast as he could go she wasn't necessarily asking him to do that but he just he could he could tell that energy from her and then um the less confident rider i still remember loping him down the side of the highway along the borrow pits and then along the dirt roads and he's just cool customer going along like there's no problem at all so that horse was very good at reading the pressure and, and how much um you know feedback he was getting from the rider so so really the bottom line is pair a super confident and active rider with a little bit more of a deadhead horse and pair your less confident and quieter riders with a horse that's got just a little more juice to them. So any other advice on this topic, Anna?
0: No, it's funny. I was just thinking because I, I rode a horse at Utah State that I absolutely loved and he was a off the track Thoroughbred, and No one rode that horse. Maybe the professor, I think one other girl did. He was just such a hothead. Every time we'd go over a fence, I mean, these are like cross rails, maybe 18-inch jumps, um, it was like he was coming out of the gate on a track, and he would just fly out. And um, I was very inexperienced in a beginner learning to jump. Cross rails feel like they're six feet jump class, and I got paired with them because, well, there was you know, there just wasn't enough horses, some had come up lame, and I could not, for the life of me figure out why I got paired with this horse when I was by far the least experienced. But that's really what it was was I was just so quiet and so soft and so timid with him that it just made a huge, huge difference. Um, so really, I mean, it doesn't even matter if it's an adult or a kid, it kind of goes for, goes for everyone.
1: Yeah. So true. So always make, keep that in mind when you're looking to purchase a horse or, or pair kids or less experienced adults, um, with, with the horse, it doesn't always equal the, the absolute best broke equals the best, you know, experience for the people in that situation. So, um, we do do evaluations on horses. If you if you feel like you've got one, if you're in the, you know, the central Utah area that, that you'd like to kind of see where we think it's at from a hotness standpoint or coldness standpoint, then we're happy to do that. But just always keep in mind that um, you need to pick a horse that matches the rider's ability and kind of their own demeanor. You'll just get a lot better luck um, with people liking and enjoying being around the horse when you do that, so... Thanks a bunch for listening to this podcast. If, if you want to check out our website at com, if you have any training needs, would like to buy a Mustang or other horses that we've got for sale, um, feel free to jump on that to com or give us a call or text us at 435-462-1311. Thanks a bunch for listening, and we'll see you guys later.
0: Bye, guys.